Welcome to episode eight of Now We're Talking, a podcast about communication skills. I'm Rob Danish from the University of Waterloo in Canada, and uh, we've been talking a bunch about specific communication practices in the last few episodes, and uh, I think it was the second episode where we talked about some of the basics of interpersonal communication. What I want to do in this episode is talk about kind of a basic approach to teamwork and how important small group communication practices are to successful team uh, to, to successful teams and to successful teamwork. So if you're listening to this, uh, odds are you've participated in some team in your life. whether you were a kid on a sports team, uh, whether you're working in a company or in a professional setting right now where you have to get along with others in a group on a collective or collaborative project, you've been a member of a team. In fact, I think um, most of the major achievements in the history of Western civilization were made possible by teamwork, not just by individuals. We often have this kind of idea of the individual genius working alone that then kind of executes some plan and changes the world. That's rarely how things actually happen. Um, things, uh, new products, new discoveries, new designs, new innovations, uh, great uh, material achievements, buildings, uh, monuments, um, the achievements of Western democracy like um, uh, rights and the Constitution, these are all products of teamwork and not products of singular individual people. So teamwork is something we participate in a lot, we have to do, and it's something that can often go well or go poorly. Um, some of us might hate being on particular teams. Some of us might love being on some other teams. Uh, I worked at a restaurant for a long time when I was younger. I worked at a place called Kingston's Clam Bar with a bunch of people that I care a lot about. and. We had a great, great experience, and in part, that great experience was because of the kind of team dynamic that we developed in the kitchen. I was a line cook, so um, how we collaboratively worked together in that space made that experience really rich and really re rewarding and really wonderful. Um, so a, a team uh, project, or you're engaged in teamwork whenever you're engaged in a kind of collaborative or collective attempt to achieve a particular goal. That's when you're in a team setting. So the question becomes, how do I become a better teammate? How do I do better and get more out of those team situations? Well, I think the, the thing to note from my perspective is that the first rule of effective teamwork is that um, timely and effective forms or practices of small group communication are necessary for a team to succeed. Now I say that with an awareness that small group communication practices are different in kind than uh, public speaking, than interpersonal communication, than writing, etc. It's a different form, a different medium of communication, and things that constitute successful small group communication are not necessarily the same things that constitute successful communication in other places or in other contexts or through other channels or other media. Um, so small group communication is its unique 
sort of thing. And you're required to do it well if you're going to participate in an effective and good team. Okay, so um, how do you do it well and what's unique about small group communication? Um, what makes it so, somewhat different than the others? Um, well, the first thing to note is, and I think this is probably the, the second sort of rule of, or rule of thumb for small group communication, is uh, that inside a group or inside a team, people, both people and the group, have simultaneously what I would call socio-emotional needs and goals and functional needs and goals. Now, a functional need or a functional goal is, you know, if I work at a public relations firm and we have a new campaign and we've got to come up with, uh, we have a new client, we've got to come up with a campaign for them. By Friday at five, we have a pitch to make. So I have to design a campaign. That's a kind of functional goal. When I say socio, so it's the task to be completed. When I say socio-emotional needs, I'm talking more about the feelings that individual team members have and that the team has collectively and whether or not those feelings are being acknowledged, whether or not those emotional needs are being met, etc. Now, we know, um, well, here's one of the things that happens. When teammates feel their kind of emotional, socio-emotional needs are being expressed and met, um, then the uh, the functional goal of the group is easier to achieve. And the group is probably better at achieving that functional goal. That's on account of what's called group cohesion, um, which I'll get to in a second. So the number one, if you want to be a good teammate, you need timely and appropriate forms of small group communication practices. And you need to know that those small group communication practices aren't necessarily the same as public speaking, as interpersonal communication, etc. Number two, you need to know that a team has both socio-emotional needs and functional goals. And an effective team meets the socio-emotional needs of individual team members and achieves the functional ends that are prescribed for that particular group or that particular team. So you're able to do both and you're doing both in harmony. And in fact, that means that small group communication practices in a team setting ought to be able to address both the socio-emotional needs of team members and the functional goals of the team. So you need to be communicating in a way that that uh, attends to both factors, attends to those socio-emotional needs and attends to those functional goals of the team. If you're not doing both, um, the team is not going to operate as effectively and people are going to be, frankly, upset or, or not get what they need out of the team. Um, now, I want to talk about like one sort of big socio-emotional need that all teams have, and that's the need for what's called relational harmony. So... Um, it turns out as humans, um, we don't love conflicts. Um, we actually look for communicative ways to preserve some degree of homeostasis in b between people. And homeostasis is a kind of balanced, harmonious state where everyone is sort of getting along. And if you witness kind of groups in action, you will notice how groups have people in them and have the tendency to seek out relational harmony. Even if that relational harmony doesn't generate kind of positive feelings, at least kind of achieves an equilibrium. I sit on this, um, in this big committee at my university and it's a group with functional goals and it, everybody's working toward those functional goals. 
But when there's disagreement or argument, you can tell the tension rises in the room and someone will attempt to bring things back to homeostasis or achieve some sort of relational harmony. And the group wants to leave the situation with some degree of relational harmony in, in place. Um, unfortunately, our desire for relational harmony can sometimes negatively affect the group's ability to make good decisions or pursue functional goals. So on this committee, there's almost never actual disagreement over policies, even though these are major things that affect the university. Uh, almost every vote, and I've been on the committee for five years, and I think that every vote, vote but one has been unanimous, and we vote like 30 times a meeting. Um, why the unanimity of the vote? Well, the unanimity of the vote is largely because of the desire for relational harmony, the desire to avoid conflict in a team setting. Uh, there was a famous book uh, um, about what's called groupthink, um, and groupthink is that idea that uh, in order to preserve some sort of relational harmony, people just make assumptions about the best course of action and don't challenge ideas and the group can actually behave really dumbly, for lack of a better term, make really bad decisions because they're not willing to challenge the other uh, one. People, individual teammates inside the group aren't willing to challenge one another to really decide what the best course of action won't be. And they, they do that because they're trying to preserve relational harmony. Um, so underpinning the kind of socio-emotional uh, needs of the group is this desire for relational harmony. Now, underpinning the functional task, well, let me go back up for a second. So we need to look for practices, communication practices, that are going to preserve relational harmony and generate what I'll call in a second group cohesion, but not so much, really, not promote relational harmony or group cohesion at the expense of effective deliberative choices. And that's a difficult thing to manage. It's difficult, but our communication practices ought to be oriented toward that end. Promote gr group cohesion, relational harmony, but not to such an extent that it impairs our judgment as a team. Okay, underpinning the, um, the functional tasks of the group is the reality of conflicting different perspectives, interpretations, understandings, and levels of expertise involved in the functional task at hand. So what that means is that any team is made up of a collection of individuals. That collection of individuals will have radically different perspectives sometimes or different understandings or make meaning differently in a specific context. Um, that creates the grounds for inevitable conflict or disagreement or misunderstanding. So the functional task is constantly being impaired or made more difficult by this uh, the pluralistic way that the group is constituted. So there's lots of different kinds of ideas in the group. That means conflict or disagreement or misunderstanding are sort of inevitable. Uh, at the same time, we have this fight, this draw for relational harmony. So those things sort of impair the process of achieving the functional goals of the team. So what we need are communication practices that can facilitate the collective deliberation of people with differences of opinion, different understandings, in order to achieve some level of mutual understanding. So um, 
that's the, the thing to look out for with functional communication practices. I think where we're going to go from here with the podcast is we'll talk about specific relational communication practices that are necessary for groups and our teamwork and specific functional communication practices that are important for teamwork. And they're different in kind, and you'll see them oriented around those two issues differently. Um, so I do want to talk for a few more minutes about group cohesion before we go any further into functional or relational communication practices in teams. Um, it turns out that, um, well, let me define group cohesion. First of all, a team that is highly cohesive has a high degree of interpersonal liking between team members, a high degree of commitment from individual team members to the team process, and a high degree of loyalty. And loyalty basically means uh, uh, an acute sense of who's inside and who's outside, and an acute sense of when and how to protect the interests of the team instead of the interests of someone on the outside of the team. So the presence of high degrees of interpersonal liking, commitment, and loyalty equals a high degree of group cohesion, or what's what we might call group cohesion. The second thing to note about teams is that teams with higher degrees of group cohesion usually outperform functionally teams with lower degrees of group cohesion. So, and this is true especially for more complex tasks. So if you're an engineer or a computer scientist and you're working on this highly complex project and you think the socio-emotional needs of the other group members are not important, you're wrong. Um, teams, the more complex the task gets, the more important it is uh, that teams have some degree, of, uh, some degree of group cohesion and the more beneficial group cohesion can be to the functional performance of the team. So a good teammate looks for ways to promote group cohesion and to uh, enhance interpersonal liking, commitment, and loyalty on the members for, our, for the members of, of the team. So if you've ever, you know, if you've ever been a part of a team and there's a meeting coming up and it's like nine o'clock and in the morning and it's 8.55 and you're 15 or 10, 10, 15 minutes away from the meeting and you know you're going to be late and you think to yourself, well, I don't care if I'm late. It doesn't really much matter. You're displaying a low degree of commitment. And if you're displaying a low degree of commitment, then odds are, you know, you have a low degree of cohesion on the team. If it's 8.55, you're going to be late and you're like, oh no, I really don't want to miss this meeting with my team. It really matters to me. And then you run and text the other team members and say, I'm really sorry that I'm late. I'm going to be there really shortly. It's really important to me that I'm there. And the other team members all say, oh, don't, you know, we're going to wait because it's really important that you participate, etc. Um, you're d displaying a high degree of group commitment. And that's likely to lead to the presence of what we're calling here group cohesion. So, um, Someone, a good teammate, looks for these, these ways of promoting group cohesion, promoting interpersonal liking, promoting uh, commitment, and promoting loyalty. Of course, um, the best way to do that is through ritual, what we in communication studies call ritual. And a ritual can be anything, really. Um, right now, I'm watching the NBA Finals uh, between LeBron James's Cleveland, Clav Cleveland Cavaliers and the Golden State Warriors. And if you watch those teams, there's high, they're highly functioning teams, both of them. Um, they're, they've done very, very well this season. Um, they're playing at an extremely high level. Uh, one of the things that they all they have in common is that they all have these little rituals between them. So at the beginning of the game, I'm not sure what happens or how this happens, but they have this little ritual where they get in the huddle, um, they start jumping up and down, they have special handshakes, um, 
all of these kind of the special things, embodied performances that are repeated over and over and over again throughout the season, and then repeated in key moments before key games or during key games, those are kinds of ritual. And a ritual is any kind of repeated embodied performance um, that has a meaning attached to it um, or that um, enacts a particular meaning. And in those rituals, you see interpersonal liking, commitment, and loyalty being physically performed and physically enacted by the characters uh, involved in the performance. Uh, I used to teach a small group communication course and um, it was going really badly for a while. And one day the kids read something about ritual. So they came in and they said, okay, fine. We're gonna start every class with the same ritual. And they try to handshake for a bit like those sports athletes have these funny handshakes. I keep watching Kevin Love doing these crazy handshakes with everyone else on the Cavaliers. That didn't really work out, so they settled on a, this other ritual of greeting people in the morning in a group setting. Um, those rituals sort of worked for that team. It, it bonded them a little bit more tightly. It made them feel a slightly higher degree of commitment and loyalty and liking to the other team members. So ritual communication practice, well, let me put it like this. Good teammates know when and how to engage in ritual communication practices in order to improve the degree of interpersonal liking, commitment, and loyalty, and ultimately group cohesion between team members. Because those individuals know that, um, that ritual communication practices, if they improve group cohesion, can ultimately improve the functional performance of the team, the ability of the team to meet its functional goals. Um, okay, so that's kind of um, a general overview of teamwork. Good teammates look out for good small group communication practices that are timely and appropriate. Good teammates know that teams have socio-emotional needs and functional goals. And then good teammates look out for ways of promoting ritual communication in order to uh, in order to generate group cohesion, because we're always on the lookout for the presence of group cohesion, and we want certain degrees of group cohesion. The classic, by, by the way, as in a kind of aside, in communication studies, there's this thing called family communication, um, and lots of people study it and write about it and do research into family communication. Family is really the original team to which you belong. And I want to say a couple of things about the importance of teamwork. Um, we can't... Um, at least from my perspective, and I work in the tradition of American pragmatism in my own work, John Dewey and William James and others, uh, we can't actually become our best selves unless we're part of a group or a team that supports our developing into our best selves. So we often hear about families that are functional or dysfunctional, and children who grow up, they joke around about being from a dysfunctional family and that negatively affecting them or impeding their ability to be their best selves. Odds are that dysfunctional family suffered from either an inability to achieve functional goals or an inability to meet the socio-emotional needs of the individual team members. There's a failure on one of those two fronts, and it's more often than not the socio-emotional front, that leads to the breakdown of a family, that leads to the presence of dysfunction. And that dysfunction impedes the ability of people to become their best selves when they grow up. Um, if a team is a highly functioning, good team, if people feel actively supported and they feel that their emotional needs are being met, there's a great degree of a rela relational harmony and group cohesion, 
then that the presence of those things will allow individuals to become better people in the long run, become more successful, more healthy, um, better able to achieve their goals and dreams, etc. Um, and that's what we mean, I think, when we say a functional, there, there's, that's a functional family. And it's the opposite. When we, that's a dysfunctional family. It's a family not meeting the socio-emotional needs of family members, etc. Um, so that's a, a thing to come back to, to, to think about. And we will, at some point during the podcast, talk a little bit about family communication practices and what those best ones are, what, the, what some harmful family communication practices are. Um, okay, so that's a um, kind of broad introduction to the practice of small group communication and the practice of teamwork. And I think next week we'll get more specific. Next couple of weeks we'll talk about specific relational communication practices in team settings and then specific functional communication practices in team settings. All right, that's it for this week. I hope everyone has a wonderful week and thanks for listening. Take care.